Asbury University. There's a Christian, if you haven't heard, there's a Christian seminary or, or a university that's been experiencing a movement of the Lord. And it all started with the, um, as I understand it, I don't know the story completely, but it all started with a, a student service that they have in the morning. And um, they, the, during, towards the end of the service, one of the students got up and started confessing and repenting before the Lord. And um, after that, uh, the young man started confessing before the Lord. Of course, it uh, just went on from there, just a service of repentance. And now for... What has it been, like nine days, ten days, whatever it is now? It's just been continuous prayer and confession and worship and, and all that. And that's wonderful. I, I think that's a great thing. It's certainly a move of the Lord. Those kinds of things never make me feel un, uncomfortable or, or, or insecure as an apostolic. God chooses to move where he chooses to move in the ways that he chooses to move. And for every movement of the Holy Spirit, doesn't matter where it happens, we ought to be grateful for it. And uh, that's, that's exactly what happened in the early 1900, uh, 20th century at, um, at um, Azusa Street, where God just started to move in a special supernatural way and uh, same kind of thing, just the prayer services started and just kept on going. And then God did all kinds of miraculous things. And then the spirit of truth, which is really great, that whenever God begins to move the way that he's moving there, is that, is that the spirit that is poured out amongst them is the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth is always, see, what's happening in Asbury is just like a beginning of something, right? For them, for that people. And uh, like in Azusa Street, when the Spirit of God was poured out amongst the, the people there, and then the Spirit of Truth began to bring light and, 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 and revelation, and people began to understand the baptism in the name of Jesus, and then, and then the revelation of the oneness of God, and all those things started happening there in, um, in Azusa Street. That's because the Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of Truth. And whenever the Spirit of God begins, begins to manifest itself in extraordinary ways, it's always going to push the people towards truth. And we need to pray for the Asbury revival, that God will cause that revival to grow. The United States needs a revival. It needs a revival. And that the Spirit of God will just bring a spirit of revelation and understanding, not only on those that are in Asbury, uh, you know, uh, regarding the oneness of God and the baptism in Jesus' name, but that it will go throughout the entire United States and God will bring a refreshing to, the, to our great nation. God knows that we need a revival in our nation. And so I'm praying for Asbury revival that that, that will just continue and that God will do what God is going to do. Amen? Amen. And we're grateful to the Lord for what he is doing in that place. And, and I believe that God has something something special for not only them but for all of 
the United States. So let's just pray that revival will spread through the land. Amen? I don't care how it comes. I just, we need revival. We need revival in the land. And so we need to pray so that God will, will cause his, um, his people to, to fall in repentance. And it's interesting that the way that that whole revival has begun is through repentance and confessing of sins. Whenever there's sin in the life of the church, God cannot do what he wants to do. He has to have us turn from our sins and turn towards him and serve him with hearts that are filled with integrity. And, um, and when we do that, then God does what only he can do. He revives the hearts of his people. And so I'm grateful for that. Amen. Someone say amen. Well, let's, let's stand and we're going to honor the reading of the word of God. As you guys know, today they have uh, everything set up real nice outside. We're going to have a, a, a Valentine's Day celebration of some sort. And, um, and we thank God for celebrations. <laughs> I say some sort because most of the stuff that happens in this church is a mystery to the pastor. People just... Uh, They've got their jobs to do, and they get to do their jobs, and they do a great job usually, and I just come and enjoy it all. So we're grateful for people that are committed in this church and that are, and that are involved in the ministry of the church. Amen. We are heading to being a, a cellular church by the year 2024. And uh, are you guys ready for a, for, a, for a revival in Hosanna Apostolic Church? Amen. I want to talk more about the revival, but <clears throat> I'm going to read the scriptures, and then I'll, I'll talk to you. I've set my timer. It's going to go off here in about 40 minutes. So um, you all pray for me so I don't go too, too long in my <clears throat> introductory thoughts. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I want us to read verses... Um, one through four, and then we'll read, uh, well, let's read all the way through verse eight. First Corinthians chapter 13. Are you with me? Say amen. This is one of the great chapters of the Bible. Here's what it says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love or charity, I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love or charity I am, not, I am nothing and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burnt and have not love or charity it profiteth me nothing charity suffereth long and is kind charity envieth not charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether they be prophecies, they shall fail, whether they be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish. 
Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord this morning, and thank you for your goodness and for your kindness. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless us today as we hear the word of the Lord. Let it settle in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Amen. The Lord is good. I want to welcome all of our visiting brothers and friends that are here this morning. God bless them, everyone that's here. We're glad to have you in service this morning. Um, let, let, me, let me start by saying this. Um, the, Jesus Christ, we were singing about it a little while ago, built his kingdom on love. Um, on Jesus Christ, obviously, but Jesus Christ is the love of God manifested in the world. It's, it's Jesus loving. It's God loving us and loving people. It, um, it was intended to be the one characteristic, the greatest characteristic of, of God's people, love. It wasn't built on power gifts or wasn't built on supernatural uh, gifts. A lot of, um, not a lot, but some ministries and churches try to build something on gifts and, and uh, healings and miracles and all those kinds of things. And that's, that's important to have in the church. But the church was not built on that. That's not one of the key cornerstones or one of the primarily important things of the church, fundamental things of the church, probably the better way to say it. The church was built on love. It's it. Love is supposed to be the greatest characteristic of the church. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that in the Bible is known precisely as that, as the, as the chapter that talks or define for, for, defines for us what love is. Uh, it's, um, uh, it's an important portion of the scriptures because essentially what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is doing is it's, it's calling every one of us to a higher life, to a higher standard of life. Wherever you are, you might be doing really good in faith. You might be, you know, struggling in your faith, whatever your issue is, or wherever you are with Christ or in your faith, in your journey with God. The reality is that we can all do better. When we're talking about walking in love and expressing our love and loving God and loving others, there's always a, a, a significant margin that we can, uh, that there is in our lives where we can better the kind of life that we're living or the way that we're loving others or loving God. We can always work on being a more loving people. And in fact, I think that one of the lessons that we learn in the scriptures, not just in Corinthians chapter 13, but in all of the Bible, that one of the greatest if not the greatest uh, efforts in our lives to better our lives have to do with love. Our greatest efforts to become better Christians have to, be, have to do with just loving people, being a people that are, that are great lovers of others and great lovers of God. And that's supposed to take up most of our energy and most of our time and most of our effort, at least as believers. We should be working consistently on that. Now, 
this this um, chapter 13 has been a, a chapter that's always kind of caught my attention, and particularly verses um, verses uh, four through verse num verse number seven, and it's caught my attention because because the reality is that most of that of those verses, in fact, if you read First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. Most of the verses that are describing love are not are not describing love in a positive way, and that's that's that calls my attention. That most of the of the um, of the descriptions of love that there are found in in uh, in the greatest chapter that's written in in human history about love, at least in the epistles of Paul, the descriptions of love are are in a are in a negative, are in the negative. They're not, love is great, and love is happy, and love is wonderful, and love is, is joyous. It's not all those kinds of happy uh, descriptions. Rather, what we find in the, um, in, the, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when it describes love, is love in an imperfect environment. And that's exactly where every one of us live. We all, every one of us, live in an imperfect world with imperfect relationships. That's the truth. And that broken world is a place where bad marriages or bad friendships or bad families often make people everything that the Bible says love is not supposed to be. Bad marriages and bad families and Bad friendships make people envious and proud and mean and improper. They make them rejoice in evil and disbelieve God. They make them choose not to hope, to lose hope, and to give in to their circumstances. That precisely is the kind of a world that Paul is speaking to when he writes 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And his message is going to be interesting. That love produces beauty in the worst environments. And that's a great message, isn't it? That love produces something that's beautiful in the worst environments. And I don't know about, about you, but, but I mean, it's not difficult to love someone in a beautiful environment when everything is good. You guys will remember when you all fell in love or when some of you have fallen in or out of love. We'll talk about falling in or out of love in a few moments, the emotions and all that kind of stuff that you felt. And, um, and it's not difficult to feel love and to be loving in a beautiful environment. But Paul's goal is to raise up the bar way higher than, 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 than the bar is raised for people to think that love is a feeling and an emotion and and it is that to some degree, and that it's, it's, it can only really be made manifest in a beautiful and perfect environment where you're loving and you're being loved back. And in that context, it's not hard to love. And for many people, that in fact, in fact, the, much of what the world believes about love is that that's when we give love. And that when it's proper right to love others, when you're in fact loving and they're loving you back. It's kind of like a reciprocal relationship that, that, um, that uh, where love grows and flourishes. But 
The scripture teaches something different. The Bible teaches that love produces beauty in, 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 in adverse and contrary and hostile environments. In other words, love doesn't just flourish in a beautiful setting. Love also flourishes in less than ideal circumstances. And I don't know about you, but that it challenges me very deeply to think that if I ever find myself in, in a relationship or in a situation where people are not loving me back or, 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 or I'm uh, in a situation that is, that is a relationally you know, deficient, um, that I'm still called by the Lord to love. I'm still in that environment that is less than perfect, required by God to act in a certain way towards others so that I am reflecting the character of Jesus Christ. In fact, perhaps the best example that we can use of, of the beauty of love in a terrible environment is the cross and everything that Jesus Christ did to redeem our lives and to save us from our sins. So let me, let me say this, that when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, that's the church that we're thinking about today, he, he is uh, writing to a very gifted church. He's writing to a church that is experiencing a movement of the Lord. There's, there's uh, supernatural things that are happening in the context of the church. They had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They uh, were uh, uh, fully Pentecostal. They had prophecy and knowledge and faith and good works. And all of those things that were described in verses 1 through verse 3. You know, this is an amazing church that was gifted, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, had the gifts of the Spirit moving. They were power gifts. It wasn't just normal stuff. It was extraordinary stuff. And, um, and the very, very gifted church. But verses 1 through 3, which we're not going to read again, simply says this. If, if, if you're very gifted, if you're very gifted, but you don't have love, you've missed it. You've missed it. Because the first thing that I learned from 1 Corinthians 13 is this, that the church cannot be built on power gifts or supernatural manifestations of the power of God cannot be built on that. In fact, many people have tried to build ministries on that, and they grow and they flourish, and they grab the attention of the people, and then eventually they die away into not very much. But I'll tell you this, that even though the church, this is what I learned, cannot be built on the powerful manifestations of God, it is built on love. And that's, that's super important for us to understand, that our lives, just like being, being a part of the kingdom of God, our lives are also to be built, not on anything else, but on love. You say, I've got great faith. Well, we applaud you for that. I've got great knowledge. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I have great manifestations of the power of God in my life. Great. But what God is asking is, what about the love? What about your level, your quality of love, the, the way that you're loving people and the way that you're loving God? So let me just give you a couple of things that I learned from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And here's what I learned. That there's, number one, that the church cannot be built on power gifts. We are not to pursue power gifts aside from or before having pursued the gift that God is, greatest gift that God has given us, which is the gift of love. 
The second thing that I learned from 1 Corinthians 13 is this, that gifts are not a sign of Christian maturity. Love is. So you can be used mightily of the Lord, have great spiritual gifts working in your life. Gift, you can have a lot of knowledge about the Bible and all kinds of things like that. But that doesn't mean you're a loving person. That doesn't mean you're a mature person. You know what the greatest mark of being a mature Christian is? It's not your knowledge. It's not your gifts. It's not none of that stuff. It's love. How loving a Christian are you? That's the measure. You say, do we need knowledge? You better believe we need knowledge. And do we need a spiritual gifts? Absolutely, we need all this. But they're not, they are important. But the most important characteristic of a Christian is that a Christian's have love. It's the greatest sign of Christian maturity. Now, the next thing that I learned from these verses is this, that faith in God without love is inconsequential. Now, I know I'm saying kind of a bit, making big statements here, but I think it's important. Because the Bible says if you have the gifts of, of, um, of uh, prophecy and you understand every mystery and all knowledge and you don't have love and you even have faith so that you can remove mountains, but you don't have love, you're nothing. Now, the, the terms that Paul uses here are radical terms. He says, if you speak in tongues and you don't have love, you're like just making noise. Noise is nothing. He says, if you understand uh, and have all knowledge and all faith and you can remove mountains, you don't have love, you're nothing. You're noise and you're nothing. And if you give your stuff away to the poor and you have your body be burned for a great cause, it profits you nothing. So at the end of the day, when you have Christianity with all of these charitable works, in other words, a, a social Christianity is a useless Christianity at the end of the day. And a um, power-gifted Christianity without, without love is, is, again, a Christianity that is, that is nothing. It's, it's, not, it's lost its value. And so Paul is making some radical statements here. And from those radical statements that Paul is making, every one of us needs to judge our lives and think about, okay, what is the most important, the most valuable thing that you hold in your Christian faith? You believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as a consequence of that faith that you have in Jesus Christ, what is the most valuable thing then that you have in your life and that you're pursuing every day to perfect? What is it? The answer should be love. Because faith in God without love is inconsequential. It's believing in the Lord, saying that you have love, having gifts, giving your body to be burned, and all of those things. That kind of a faith in God without faith in God without the love of God is not faith at all. Not the kind of faith that transforms and saves us. If you have true faith, that is consequential faith, then that faith will manifest itself primarily in a love for God and a love for people. And so, let me say it this way also, that the manifestation of the greatest spiritual gifts, number four, are trivial without love. Great things, powerful things, are trivial without love. People aren't attracted by great power. 
um, they're attracted by great love. Great power is not going to make the difference in a marriage, or nor is it going to make a difference in a church. Great love will. And so in a sinful world, now listen to this, in a sinful world where, and you guys can evaluate this and think about whether it's right or not, but in a sinful world where uh, the most powerful manifestation of God is love. Let me say it again. That in a sinful world, in a broken world, like the world that we're living in today, the most powerful manifestation of God is love. Here, the, the greatest manifestation of God is love. Now, think about this with me for a second, that the spirit world is powerful. Talking about the good and the bad. The spirit world is powerful beyond anybody's ability to imagine or even to conceive of. Our power, our ideas of power, even the most powerful men and the most powerful kingdoms are really just a, a shadow of the, the, the power that there is in the spiritual realm. So in the spiritual world, whether they're demons or whether they're angels and whether it's God or whether it's the devil, uh, you know, uh, power does not impress them. They live in, in that environment of power and authority that is way beyond anything we could ever imagine. It's normative. What for us is like astounding, a miracle, a sign, a wonder, some sort of extraordinary working of God. For what, for what us is impressive and astounding, there it is not that much because in the spirit world, it is a power-filled world. It is a world that is that is that that power is the reality in that environment. What marks the difference in that world is love. What marks the distinction between the the darkness and the light in that world is not just power, but the power of love. The power that God used to Redeem us from the darkness into the light of Jesus Christ. Love is the greatest power that there is in the world. It is through this power that every one of us were redeemed. So when you think about you want to become a powerful Christian, what should I shoot for? Spiritual gifts, manifestation of, of supernatural power, or should I shoot for love? And the answer is that in that world as in this world, the greatest power that there is in the world is the power of love. Love is and will forever be the greatest mark of true spirituality and of spiritual maturity. There is no greater manifestation of that. So then when, when Paul is talking to the Corinthians, he has seen love through the lens, not just of some ideal, but he is looking at love uh, through the lens or in the environment, uh, through the lens of human experience, there is no idealism there. He, he Notice that his description of love is not uh, in, in an ideal context. It is not in loving relationships. It is not in the context of reciprocal love. It's in a it's in a in a in a, in a less than perfect environment. In fact, it is in a foul environment that Paul begins to talk about what love is. And that's why he says, when he talks about love, and you'll 
You'll read it with me, please, in verses 4 through verse 6. He says, charity is suffering for a long time, and charity does not envy, and it doesn't exalt itself, and it does not behave unseemly. Every description of Paul, not everyone, but most of the descriptions of Paul of love are, are how it relates to an imperfect environment. How it behaves when it's not being reciprocated. How it behaves when you're not being loved, you're being hated. How it behaves when you're not being accepted, you're being rejected. How love behaves when people are provoking you to do evil and to think wrong. How love behaves when, when it seems like there's no more hope. Paul's description of love is exactly relevant because it is in the context that we have to demonstrate love in that he sets the definition or the description, if you will. It's not a definition, but the description of love. Kinsky's commentary on 1 Corinthians puts it this way. He says this. Paul does not describe love to us in the role of performing great, wonderful, and astounding deeds. He prefers to show us how love looks when it is placed amongst sinful men and weak and needy brothers. He does not picture love in an ideal surrounding of friendship and affection where each individual embraces and kisses each other. Rather, he places love in the hard surroundings of a bad world and a faulty church where distressing influences bring out the positive power and value of love. So he says, you want to know what real love is? You're going to find it, and you're going to find it in an imperfect church. You're going to find it in an imperfect world. It is in that environment that love, the love that Christ has given to us, truly stands out. It is in that environment, more than in any other environment, that God is glorified in our context. Where people are misbehaving, but you're loving anyway. Where people are not reciprocating, but you're choosing to do what is right anyway. Where people are misbehaving and talking what they ought not to be saying. But you've made up your mind. You're going to grow in love and you're committed to the ways of Christ. And you do what Christ has called you to do. It's in that environment. In fact, for a long time, like I told you guys, I'd read the, def the descriptions of love and I'd say, man, why does he do that? And that's the reason he does it, because he wants every one of us to know that wherever you are, you can be a loving person. Amen. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know my circumstance. I don't need to know your circumstance. You say, it's really bad. I believe it's really bad. In fact, that's worse than you can imagine. I understand your circumstance is not perfect, and it may be terribly bad. But here's what I know, that we serve a God that has poured out the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And when he gave us the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he gave us a baptism of love. You got the love of God in great measure when you were filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Now, it's interesting. Let's look at Paul's first description of love. And I'll, I'll stay there with that first description. It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. And long-suffering is an attribute of God. In fact, long-suffering has to do with people that are acting in hurtful ways. Their behavior is not up to par. They're 
ignorant, they're mean, they're malicious in their actions. And yet, the person that has love is not allowed. Or rather, the person that has love does not allow all of that behavior to arouse within them anger or resentment. I'm going to say it again. You're in an imperfect environment where people are angry and they're mad and they're misbehaving. And here's what long-suffering does. It does not allow that behavior to arouse within us anger and resentment towards that individual. Oh, isn't that descriptive of what Jesus did for us? Isn't that descriptive of what God does for us every single day? 2 Corinthians 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord extends his coming. You know why? Because he wants you to get right with God. He wants you to get your heart right with the Lord. He wants to give you a chance to come back again. He could have come back a long time ago, but you would have been lost. You wouldn't have made it. And now you're here worshiping the Lord. Now you're here giving God the glory. And you know why you ought to praise him? Because he's a long-suffering God. Your actions, my actions, should have got him mad a long time ago, but his long-suffering nature held back the anger of God, and here we are giving God the glory, saying, the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting. Oh, somebody give him praise right now. Thank God for the love of God that has been poured out upon our hearts. The natural reaction of a human being when injustice affects us is to strike back. It's the natural reaction. It's to be angry. It's indignation. It's resentment. It's bitterness. But the spiritual reaction is totally different. When you should be angry and you should be resentful, then love steps in. It suffers over a long period of time. It keeps calm. It endures. It does not let that circumstance get into its heart. And if it has to do it over a long period of time, the commitment is there. I serve a God that is a love of a God of love. I have the Holy Ghost that has filled my heart with the spirit of love. And I will serve the Lord as he calls me to do it. You know, you know what the beauty of all this is? Love is patient or love is long-suffering. The beauty of that is this. That it says, and is kind. You know what that means? It means that loves go through a real hard time. And it comes out at the end of the day with kindness intact. It means that it goes through a very difficult time, and but you don't turn for the worse. It doesn't affect your character so that you go through that difficult circumstance or you're in that difficult relationship and you're all bitter, you're all angry, you're all filled with resentment. You can't talk to your husband. You can't talk to your wife. No, we won't have none of that stuff. Why not? Because we've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost because God has given us his word and he has poured out his love in our hearts. 
So my life is not perfect. My relationship is not perfect. Right, it's not. But I'm not going to come out of this relationship all messed up. I'm going to come out kind. You know what that means? I'm going to come out useful. It means I'm going to come out helpful. It means I'm still going to be friendly. It means I'm still going to be good. I'm still going to be healthy. Somebody give a praise right now. I don't know if anybody's ever come out of anything in this church or gone through some stuff and come out all right. It wasn't because you're better than anybody else. It's because the Holy Ghost was helping you get out of that situation and the love of God was being poured out in your heart praise God it is no wonder then that God encourages us to follow after charity in fact Jesus said he's the one that gives us the commandment the greatest of all commandments is to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength this is the great commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, somebody say praise the Lord. There is no greater commandment. The two are one. There is no greater commandment. Everyone say the two are one. When you love your neighbor, you're loving who? You're loving God. And when you love God, you're going to love your neighbor. The two are one. This is one commandment. This is one spirit that has been poured out upon our lives. Anybody here just like kind people? You know what? Somebody comes to this church, somebody comes to your house, somebody goes to your work, and, uh, and they ought to find somebody that's kind. Say amen. You just know how to treat people well. You might not be feeling well, but you know how to treat people well. And you'll commit yourself to doing it. Well, listen to this. The Bible teaches us this, that life is about love. It's the most important thing in your life. In fact, if I were to ask you, uh, what is the most important thing that you're pursuing right now in your life? What would your answer be? Uh, to be happy? Want to be happy? And you're doing everything you can to have fun? Are you pursuing fun as a goal that you want to accomplish in life? Or maybe just to be successful. You want to be, you want to make a career and you want to have, make great money and you want to put yourself in a good place. What is the one thing you're pursuing? I, I, I know you all know where I'm going with this. Maybe you're not doing very well physically and you're pursuing health, and that's the most important thing for you. Well, the answer is, is important because it's identifying your greatest aim in life, your priority. Life, it's called the life-guiding principle. Something that is determining your actions and your thoughts and your attitudes and everything else. What are you pursuing? Because if it's happiness, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna stay home and watch television instead of going out there and doing the hard work. You're gonna kick back watching video games instead of going out there and and uh, pursuing the career that you're supposed to be pursuing. It's gonna be taking leisure and taking it easy instead of pursuing a relationship with God. It's gonna be so many other things that can that are secondary things, not really the most important thing, but I want to ask you today, what's the one thing? Don't I know what we're all supposed to say. We're all supposed to say God is the most important thing. We're all supposed to say that the word of the Lord is the most important thing. But I want you to think about your agenda, your life, as I think about mine and I ask myself, what is the most important thing in my life? In the context of your life, the answer should be to pursue love. God is love. 
The more love you have in your life, the more God you have in your life. The Bible is clear about what our greatest goal should be. Love God and love people. In fact, Paul later on to the Corinthians, to the same Corinthians believers, in 14.1, he says this, follow after love, follow after charity, follow after love. Let love be your greatest aim, says the Living Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, again Paul says, let all things be done with love. Everything, say everything. everything. Ought to be done with what? With love. Say everything. You're making a meal for your husband. It ought to be done with? You're washing the clothes for your children. It should be done with? You're going to work and, and, and I mean, you're, you're, you're sweating. The, the, you're, you're doing the best you can. You're working hard. It should be done with what? Love. If, if we get love involved in all of our stuff, the quality of your life is going to get better. We come to church. Why do we come to church? Well, pastor expects us to see, you know, we come to church because of what? Love. We love the Lord. We want God to know that, that we're loving him in very practical ways. And so, and so let me just say this, that this commandment to love, as we have heard, is a challenging commandment. Say amen. It's not easy. Loving the way that God wants us to love is not going to be an easy task. You know why? Let me tell you four truths as I end this message in just a few moments about love. The first one is this, that love is a choice and a commitment. That's what I learned from 1 Corinthians 13. That if you're going to love right, then one of the things that you're going to learn is that love is a choice and a commitment. Listen to Deuteronomy 30.20. Thou that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him. Listen, the Bible teaches us that you choose to love. You choose to love. Or you choose not to love. It's your choice and it's my choice. We need to destroy the myth that love is uncontrollable. Think about the, even the way we talk about the love thing, right? It's kind of like a guy's walking along someday and he sees a girl and he falls into love. And he says, oh my God, so romantic. He, he fell in love. But it's kind of like, look at the reality, even of the way we talk. Guy's walking along and there's a hole there. All right? He's walking along and he's like, falls in the hole. And she says, What's better to say, he fell in love with you or he chose you? Because if it's he fell into something he wasn't expecting to fall into, he might well dig his way out of that hole when things don't get comfortable or they don't get nice or love gets rough or life gets difficult. He might just climb on and say, hey, I fell into it. Let me get out of it. But if you made a choice, I think that every woman and every man wants to, to choose to be loved. Now, a guy can fall in love with a girl by looking, oh, my God, she's so beautiful. I think I'm in love. Love at first sight. right? Love at first sight. But you know what? Love at first sight don't mean nothing if she don't love you back. 
So you choose to love her. That's great. But she's got to choose to love you back. Otherwise, it's not going to work out. I want to tell you that love is a choice. We choose to love God. We don't fall in love with God. We just make right decisions. We choose to follow his ways. We choose to follow his commandments. Love is better if you just choose it. You see, it makes the quality of life so much better and the permanency of love so much longer if we just believe this one truth. Love is a choice. Look at your neighbor and tell them love is a choice. Jeff and Sarah, would you come and share with us? They're, they're going to share with us just a little testimony during my message today. And so we're going to hear them. Everyone say love is a choice. Love is a choice. Let's give the Lord a hand, praise. Praise the Lord's church. Uh, it's honor, always a, a humbling and honor to uh, speak in front of uh, God's children. But today, I think... Um, Today's special for me because this, this, this sermon, this, um, this message is a testimony of not only for myself, but for our marriage, our relationship with, uh, with all, for all four of us, with, with, with Sarah and, and Kennedy and Chloe. It's something that's been 24 years, and it's not been Bells and Wilsons. For me to give my testimony, I always tell people I have to tell the truth. I can't beat around the bush about it. I can't tell you, hey, it's, everything's been perfect. I, I, I can't do that. Because I've, I've played my part, and like the pastor said, my father, he, my Lord and Savior, he long suffered with me. He suffered with me. And he showed me the, what love is. And he showed me where I was failing, my, my, my wife and my daughters. And when I finally accepted that, our, our, our family took off. Is it perfect, as my wife will tell you probably? Absolutely not. But every day on my way to work, at work, I talk to the Lord. And I ask him, hey, we, I have this issue. Hey, we have this disagreement. Hey, I need to talk to... Kennedy about this. I need to talk to Chloe about this. What, what, do you, what do you do? I know what I want to do. I know how I want to handle it. But how do you want me to handle it? Because the way I'm going to do it or the way I wanted to do it, it was not right. It didn't get me anywhere. I was um, beating my head against the wall, so to speak. And I just try to show the love and the grace and the patience that patience, excuse me, that they had with me, that I know the Lord gave them to have with me and that the Lord showed to me. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. Um, I just, uh, I'm grateful to be here to share a little bit of our testimony. Um, just like my husband said, it has been uh, a journey and um, we're only here because of Jesus. That's it. There's no other um, reason. Um, we lived 
I'm going to give a little bit of a background. We lived, um, we grew up different, you know, we, we were completely different people. Uh, I, we grew up in Christian homes, um, church-going homes. I was apostolic, pastor's wife, I mean pastor's wife, pastor's daughter, and, um, you know, we just, we made decisions as we got older, and, um, you know, it led us down a road that was difficult, and um, through that road, uh, some great things happened, and some really difficult things happened, and um, I can say that through all of it, I've seen God's hand, you know, move in our in our lives, um, personally, and within our family. Um, you know, the baptism of my husband was just an absolute miracle. I remember praying for years and years and years that the Lord would save him. And he's always been, uh, I brought tissue. Uh, I came prepared because I knew um, he's always been a great man. But, you know, none of us are perfect and neither was I. And, um, and I remember praying to the Lord every time I would see someone get baptized. My, when my dad was pastoring, when we moved here to Hosanna, and I would cry, and I would always say, I know, I know Jeff's going to be there one day. And I prayed for him, my brother, and my sister, and I just knew. And I, and that day that the Lord, um, that he came out of those baptismal waters, I experienced that answered prayer, you know, and I live every day, you know, that of my life so you know so far God answered my prayers that I've had for 24 years you know and it's not it's not a perfect walk it's not a perfect situation all the time you know sometimes there's residues still sometimes but we work on it and we love each other and we both love God and God's been with and it's just because of him. It's not because of him and I, because we're human and we make mistakes. It's only because of Jesus. This is, that's it. That's it. I'm here. He's here. We're together. Our daughters are whole. My husband is, is a, he's stepped into the role of a father and a leader, and I'm able to submit only because of Jesus. And so I just want to, really, and if you know my personality, <laughs> but um, I just want to thank God for this, you know, and, and I want to say, like, if you just let God move, I had to let God move. He had to let God move in his, his, like, I had to let God move in mine, too. I had to let go of my things in my heart. I knew what to do in church. I knew what to say. I knew how to do all of it, but I didn't know how to let go, and so once I did that within myself, God moved in my, in my situation, and here we are today, and so that's our story. You know, like I said, love is a choice, and it's a commitment. You know why it's a commitment? Because no marriage is perfect, and no family is perfect. 
And if we're going to grow in our relationship with one another, that's precisely what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to commit to one another and, and help one another and encourage one another to grow in our faith. Well, let me, let me say a couple of more things. I'm about done now. My time is up. In fact, if you'll stand with me, you'll help me. Um, and we'll be done in a few moments. I want to tell you that God wants to build this church on one principle. Well, he wants to build this church on love. And for every one of us that are here, listen, there's one thing you can't live without. There's one thing you cannot do without. In fact, the more you get of it, and that's love, the better your life is going to be and the better your relationships are going to be. And that is God is calling this church to be a church that loves him and that loves people. Now, on and forgive me for the commercial here, but on the 5th of, 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 of this coming month, we're going to have a Friends Day. And one of the ways that we show our love for others is we share Jesus Christ with them. And so this coming 5th of March, I'm encouraging the entire church, as we've been doing now for the last couple of weeks, to just encourage people that need the love of Christ in their hearts to come to the feet of Jesus Christ and to know Christ and to follow him and to experience the kind of changes that God has done in the life of every one of us so that we can together all just live for the glory of God. And so I encourage all of you, pursue your friends, follow after them, share with them the goodness of God. And let's see what the Lord is going to do on the 5th of March. Someone say amen. amen. We are a church that loves people. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, let's love people the way that Jesus loved them. Amen. Now, let me tell you one last, one last line here, one, one last uh, truth here before we're done. And that is, I think, something that's really important. And that is that, you know how we share the gospel? We share the gospel intentionally. We don't share the gospel emotionally because love is not an emotion just or just an emotion. In fact, you talk about love being an emotion, it's the, it's the, it's the poorest description you can give of love. And the emotional part of it is great. But when you say that, that love is not an emotion, it's action. It's doing things. It's, it's actually being kind and being good it's saying the right things it's sharing it's it's being positive that's what love is it's giving it's not just an emotion emotion is something you'll feel later on if you act in a loving way so does love cause emotions? You better believe it does. All of us know that. In fact, it causes some of the strongest emotions that people can feel. It can create emotions. But love is not an emotion. And why do I say that? Well, that's what God says about love. Over and over, we are commanded to love each other. And over and over, we're commanded to love the lost and the dying, to bring them to Jesus. And over and over, we're commanded to love our husbands and our wives and our children and our brothers and our sisters. And let me say this. 
You know how I know that love is not an emotion? Because you cannot command an emotion. If you were to tell me, love so-and-so, I could fake it. But you cannot command an emotion. If you were to tell me, Brother Salazar, feel sad. I could put on the face. But you cannot command an emotion. And over and over the scripture commands us to love. You know why? Because love is much more than just an emotion. Love is a commandment. You choose to love. It's the story of my wife and I. I chose to love her. I thought she was pretty and stuff. I still think she's pretty. But I chose to love her. I've chosen to love my children because sometimes they just misbehaved. And, um, and you still have to choose to love them anyway. And, um, and I'm sure that what I want you all to know today is that our choices to love God and to love people are going to make all of the difference in your life and in the life of others. So we have two weeks, guys, two weeks before Friends Day. And what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, um, uh, uh, let me propose to you rather that for these next two weeks, we just love people into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That we just love people and serve them and bless them and, and do the best we can into the kingdom of Jesus. And if, if there's someone here that your marriage is kind of like in a rocky place or, or maybe you're not doing that well, you know you could be doing a lot better. You know what Jesus is calling you today to do today is not feel love, act on love or act in love. And when you begin to act in love, you know what's going to happen? The emotions are going to come later on. But you got to act in love. And so church... Love God. Everyone say, love God. And love people. And the Holy Spirit is here right now. He's in this house. And I'm going to invite people this today. Maybe you need healing in your body. Or maybe you need healing in your heart. Or maybe you just need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Whatever you need reconciliation with God. Whatever your circumstances. I want to invite you to this altar. If you need God, whatever it is that you might need with Him. I want you to come and want to pray for you and minister to your heart and to your life as the praise team ministers to us. Let's come before the Lord and let's just be grateful because God has been good to us. Come on up in Jesus' name. We want to pray for you. We want the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. If your marriage is suffering, God can make it right. Come on forward, brothers, as far as you can come. Who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me. Bless the Lord and Jesus.